Welcome back to Pop Culture Historians, everybody. My name is Ryan Ritter. That's Jimmy McShane on the line. We're here for another week of Classic Doctor Who Season 4 coverage. Jimmy, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I'm well. I'm very well. You know, uh, I feel like I've uh, I feel like I've lost a lot of weight. Almost like I'm weightless. Like I'm on the moon <laughs> or something. What a what a wonderful transition, Ryan. Yeah, that could only mean one thing. <laughs> we must be talking about the moon. Which is the sixth story of Classic Doctor Who season four, by my count? Yes. Yes. Which makes it the fourth, second Doctor Who. That's a lot of numbers all together. Yes, it is. Fourth it's Patrick the fourth story, story of the second. Yeah, it's the fourth Patrick Troughton story. Perfect. Uh, ran in four parts. We're just going to jump right into this. We have no time to waste. Uh, ran in four parts from February 11th to March 4th, 1967. Uh as is the case for all season four stories, we have a couple of missing episodes. Uh, was it the second and the fourth that are missing? No, first and the third. First and the third are missing, right? First and the third are missing. Second and fourth still remain. First and third are, have now been animated, I believe. Were yep. there, yeah. Uh, were there loose cannon reconstructions for these as well? Jog my yes. memory. Okay. Yeah, so there's loose cannon reconstructions for every single missing serial because the loose cannon had at least done every serial before they even started animating missing episodes. Got it. So if it's missing, there's a loose construction, loose cannon reconstruction attached exactly. to it. Exactly. So, so that's always an option if you don't, if you want to actually see like actual, like what was actually on the screen. And if you're okay with the scrolling type at the bottom, like if you prefer that over like these animations, which there's creative license in these animations. Yeah. Even if, you know, and so um, that's always an option. Yeah, there's something to be said for sometimes like getting like the actual telesnaps, even if it's not as fluid. And it doesn't, like, it's, it's, it's hard to argue that you're actually watching like an episode of TV with the uh, loose cannon reconstructions. But there's something, something to be said for visualizing what's actually there. That yeah. said, I, we did, we did, do the animations for one and three for this watch through, which has its own advantages. Uh, look, no need to bury the lead. Uh, the significant thing about this, we have a return of the Cybermen and thus establishing officially for the first time, I would argue, our second major recurring villain behind the, uh, <laughs> behind the Daleks. Uh, a redesign. I don't know if you want to walk us through that at all, but uh, they look a little different than we last left them off in the Tenth Planet, I think. Yeah, last time we saw it was in the Tenth Planet. Well, obviously William Hartnell's last story, and um, they do look different. In the Tenth Planet, they had that kind of like cloth mask, and they didn't have anything over their hands, and you know. Um, here in their first redesign, it's they have there's like a full body suit, and the, they have helmets like metal helmets or, I mean I don't think they were actually metal helmets in the prop department, but they're supposedly metal helmets, uh, which I guess made made the costumes were a lot better for the people in them uh, supposedly, but still 
little bit difficult to, to move around in. Yeah, they looked I, more comfortable, but yeah, they, only sorry, um, only by comparison. Right. How, I mean, how do you feel about the redesign? Something I'll say is, um, Cybermink has lots of redesigns, and okay. I feel like for Cybermink, it's no, more noticeable than the Dalek redesign. I would agree, and I think the thing about the Daleks, it's interesting to kind of analyze like which ones take off which ones being like uh, these recurring villains because they've tried a bunch like the the Vord and the uh, Darby or Benoptra. I don't remember which one of those were the evil ones. Um, uh, the Zarby. The Zarby. And those all kind of burn out pretty quickly and never to be seen again. Uh, when you look at the Daleks and the Cybermen Thinking about the Daleks is like you you don't want a whole lot of redesigns from them too much because I think what kind of makes them charming to me is this, this sort of low rent feel to the Daleks. Like I like that like there's obviously like plungers um, <laughs> as their arms, right? Uh, but like I think they're so creepy that I think you're able to kind of look at it as like that's not a plunger, that's like a that's like an evil arm or something like that. I think part of that is the voice, and I think that's a connection that. The Cybermen have, and in fact, I think a lot of the same people. We'll get into that with the cast notes, but there's a critical figure behind both the Dalek voices and the Cybermen voices. So maybe that's what they need to do the whole time: is just have, just have, just use that uh, kind of creepy, monotone, robotic voice. But I think to me, it was pretty clear from the jump that, like, watching the Tenth Planet, there's so much going on with the Tenth Planet that, like, I, I, I kind of forgot that that's where the Cybermen came from. It's kind of wild that that's like a first. That technically. A, it's a first Doctor villain, because um, right. It feels to me that like uh, the Daleks belong to the first Doctor, and the Cybermen belong to the second Doctor. Even at this point, it kind of feels like that's like a clear delineation. I don't know. I didn't. I wasn't jazzed about how they looked in the Tenth uh, Planet, and so I'm kind of glad that they retinkered it and kind of rebooted them a little bit. Uh, I think they look a lot creepier here. I think the cloth mask didn't do them any favors. Here they they like they look a lot more formidable. Um, <laughs> I think there's the, the vacant faces are sometimes a little silly in the animation, but when you uh, when you offset it with like this very very creepy robotic voice, I get why this would be really creepy watching on like a black and white television in the sixties. I think it was a good I think it was a good move to re- redesign them a little bit. How do you feel about them? Yeah, I I agree. I do have a. The cloth masks do have a place in my heart as well. Uh, and maybe because they're, they're, it's kind of rare. You know, I mean, like, you're not going to see too many more cloth masks Cybermen going forward. Um, and so I, I guess I kind of like them on that level. Uh, but the redesign was probably necessary, uh, especially because I think this, this serial, and there's some of this in the Tenth Planet, but this serial really does establish them as more of a militant force. Um, mm-hmm. than previously in the 10th planet. They were here. It was a strategy. They were attacking. They had a goal. And uh, th- this is going to be, I think, a little bit more of how you're going to be seeing the, the Cybermen going forward. I will say this about the Cybermen. And I, I'm only going off of two stories of, the, of Cybermen as opposed to like uh, five Dalek stories now. Yeah, yeah. Every Dalek story has felt very different from each other. This has a lot of similarities to the Tenth Planet, and we'll, uh, we'll we'll talk about how we feel about the Moon Base as as a four part story momentarily. 
but um, I found it hard to separate those two a little bit. Obviously, their functions are a little different. Their plan is a little different, but they do feel kind of similar in tone. Uh, I don't know if I have a point beyond that, but just that's something I noticed watching this. I was like, oh, this kind of reminds me of their first story, which is not something I'd ever thought about with a Dalek story up to this point. That's a, that's a good point that I didn't think about. Um, and I think some of that has to do with Terry Nations, the writer for the Daleks. Like, I think he got bored easily. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, all of his stories, even like inside a Terry Nation story, like he did a Keys of Marinus, right? And that was all over the place. Like, I think, I think Terry Nations liked telling different kinds of stories. Whereas Kit Pedler, the writer of this one, when you look at his three contributions, and he didn't, all of his stories have been aided by other people. Like he, he came up with the idea for War Machines, but he didn't do the script for it. And he co-wrote this and The Tenth Planet with Jerry Davis. But I feel like all three stories that had Kit Pedler kind of behind it as a creative force all feel very similar. Okay. I mean, I mean, what do you think? What's other story? He did the War Machines. Run, well, run, so run, he run came up with the other ones again. So he came up with the idea for the War Machines, but he would, he didn't really have a hand in the script. And there's a similarity there with the Cybermen yeah. a little bit. Okay. Yeah, there is. And then he did the Tenth Planet. He co-wrote that with Jerry Davis, and he co-wrote this one with Jerry Davis. Yeah, I mean, they're all they all kind of involve not, not military per se, um, but I, I feel think, like I think they do right. Like on the War Machines. The doctor is working definitely. with, yeah. The doctor's working with the military in both the War Machines, the Tenth Planet, and the, he's not really working with the military in this one so much. But it but is it a representative is, is. of the U.S. government, right? Well, it, I mean, he is defending the base with the people working there in kind of a military way, and I think the Cybermen are more militant in this, and so you kind of have this like sci-fi. I mean, Kip Heller brought a, a, the sci-fi like maybe more about the harder edge sci-fi to it and also kind of a battle element to it, I think with like strategy and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I, I, I think, I think that that's partially, you know, are the Daleks more versatile maybe than the Cybermen thus far, but I also think some of that is because the writer is less versatile. I think that's fair. And, you know, I don't mean to like, draw that as a ne- negative necessarily i think there's something to be said for writing what you know and like those three including this one none of those are out and out disasters to me like there's no there's no web planet there like war machines is good 10th planet was great and uh we'll get into our full feelings but i do think the moon, I think the moon base is solid the moon base is solid but i think cybermen do have a modicum more personality to them than the Daleks. The Daleks are just very much just like destroy, destroy, destroy. Which in a way kind of means you can put them in any capacity. Like you can have something goofy like the chase. You can have something kind of really deadly serious and bleak like um what's the first one? Uh, not the first one. What's this, what's the one that was like set in like the Dalek, Dalek 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 first? Right. I thus far it seems like this might be the wheelhouse for the Cybermen. Um there's some base somewhere. That's the other thing about the second Doctor era thus far. A lot of bases <laughs> under the ground funny. or like on the moon or something. <laughs> like it's funny you bring that up. <laughs> um, so something that is popular, and I'll talk about why. Well, I can talk about it right now. Is the base under siege story? Um, why is that? 
So, uh, so going to how this story was made, right? So yeah. let's talk about it. So basically, like pretty early on after the tenth, like I think even during the tenth planet as it was airing, they were like, you know what, these Cybermen are cool. People really like them. Let's just bring them back right away. Now, I mean, that's why there's such a short turnaround. Yeah. And so, and as Lloyd went to Kid Peddler and said, we want to, we want another Cyberman story. Um, why don't you, why don't you put it on the moon, right? Because the moon <laughs> is, it was, it was a kind of a hot button topic. People knew the U.S. was going to the moon. You had the whole space race going on when the Cold War between the U.S. and Russia. So he's like, hey, put it on the moon and make it on one set because that cuts costs. Sure. Okay. Um, and so it's, it's a business decision forcing a creative decision <laughs> a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, I'm with that. And I think this kind of ties back to a co- topic of conversation we had after the web planet, which is pretty ambitious and also like a very bad set of episodes. And we talked about like, is this going to discourage them from being ambitious in the future? And it kind of feels like the answer might be yes, but also, you know, I'll mention like everything has been a different base. It's been an underwater base, a moon base, a uh, well, <laughs> not to give away next week's episode too much, but that's kind of like a almost like a, <laughs> a crab bait. I don't know. I don't know what you call it. Um, so there's different types of bases. So I'll get I'll give it that. It hasn't just been like the same thing literally, um, but it's the same. It, it, it's a shame to some degree as well. Yeah. So, and so something to keep in mind, you know, Ennis Lloyd is taking over the show in a time where it's not as popular as it used to be, right? There's just no, there's no, no going around it. It's still getting decent ratings, but it's averaging two to three million less than it was. And so it's not in danger of getting canceled at the moment, but they're starting to have less money. And here's, here's something else, and this is a problem that plagues Doctor Who till this day. It's a more expensive show to make than most shows. Sure. Right. Right, Compare it to Star Trek. Most of what happens in Star Trek happens on the Enterprise, which is the same set week in and week out, right? I mean, they'll go to a planet, you gotta do some planet for that, like you gotta make a little uh, rocky terrain, but that's not that expensive. And then they'll like beam an alien up to the enterprise and all this action like weird stuff will happen on the enterprise that's a good so point they don't have they don't have to like make a whole bunch of money to make a new set every week in, in star trek mm-hmm. they do have to do that for doctor who right for, week, for weeks at a time too for weeks at a time and so and as lloyd figured okay we have less money to work with in fact they even moved to a different studio a smaller studio in the middle of this which is kind of like a a bit of a demotion right like they 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 were at the big studio now they're back to the smaller studio yeah it's kind of wild yeah and so he's like okay you know what might save us a little bit of money if we didn't have to make a different set every week right like make make one set for the serial right and they do the thing you because you already mentioned you, you started the mocker which is next mm-hmm. week's serial so you know you're a little bit ahead where and even in the mocker like that's one one set for all four weeks of the filming of that pretty much you know for the Underwater Menace, that's one set for all four weeks of filming. Even Power of the Daleks, right? That was one, maybe two sets, because I think they went outside the Venus. That's two sets. Right. The Highlanders is the only one where they kind of did it in the traditional way, where they went on location and they had different sets throughout. Um, 
and it's, it's very much a business decision. That kind of became, it's become a, a bit of a cliche. And I feel like it's kind of a cliche that's gone to other sci-fi genres as well. They kind of this base under siege where like you're sure. hunkered down in a base. And of course it comes from the military, right? I mean, these are things that would actually happen in battle. Uh, sure. And there's some military movies about it. So that's kind of where I think they got the idea from. And so I think it's, it's kind of become its own thing. Well, to some degree too, I think a base under siege story kind of allows for built-in conflict. You just have to kind of like unplug, you know, swap out some characters for other characters, some villains for other villains and like a motive. So like, you know, a base, the base gives you a, a collection of people. So you already have like your cast of characters. They have a goal. And then you just have to have a, a new villain to come in to like interrupt that goal. Right. So like here, it's like we're <laughs> we have a gravitron that con- controls the weather on Earth for whatever reason. They don't explain why. <laughs> it's probably better well, they don't. <laughs> actually, the, I mean, can you imagine we could literally control the weather on Earth? Right, like uh, all these debates about global warming, all these debates about like you could. It's over. <laughs> yeah, it's over. Right, we could. You could make sure every region has all the water and and participation and needs. You would never have an unexpected tornado or hurricane. I mean, uh, I don't think that one needs justification. I think it would be yeah, awesome I agree. if we could control the weather on the planet. And so now it's like, okay, now we need a reason for someone else to take it over. And like, what's funny is that this almost didn't need to be a uh, Cyberman story. Like, it almost could have been like another. I could see humans fighting over this thing too, you know? Like, true, yeah. I mean, if you had warring nations, one nation, you could wipe out a whole country using weather for sure. I mean, but you know. So, anyways, you can kind of swap out those kinds of things here and there. Um, it is a little bit more built in as a template than maybe it seems initially. So, and it's not a bad decision. You just wish stuff like you wish the ratings were where they were. During the show's heyday, it's crazy we're talking about like in the show's heyday, like season two. The show's been on for sixty years. But um, something I will say, like the show does have heydays. It has a couple heydays. One of them is season two of classic Doctor Who. I mean, that is when, at least when it comes to ratings and British television, that is one of the most popular times of the show's history. Now, here it has more worldwide appeal today than it did back then, for you know because it just media travels better now. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think even if the ratings, as we were, and of course, show hasn't been on for a year. So, but like, even if the ratings aren't what they were for what's currently aired, it's such an institution that right. they kind of don't have to be. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. One of the heydays was the was William Hartnell Doctor Who. And of course, you you already know another heyday. What's the only classic Doctor you knew? That of course be Tom Baker as the Tom post, Baker. He's right? he's another heyday, and so mm-hmm. um, it, it's gonna kind of rise and fall in popularity, um, and we'll we'll keep tracking how Trallon's era goes. Yeah, it'll be fun to kind of uh, keep track of the ratings. I'm glad I'm glad we started to track this uh, on a week to week basis. Uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, do we want to talk about how we feel about? Uh, the moon base in general. I don't know if you want to start 
or if you want me to jump in here, but general um, thoughts. Yeah, I, I, I kind of got to drift out of you thought. I actually rather like this story. Mm-hmm. Um, I was something I will say, and this helps me when it comes to the second Doctor's era. Um, I kind of like the base under siege format for a story. I, I do think you, you kind of mentioned how it does kind of lend itself to certain certain tropes, right? I mean, it, it, but I I like it because it adds kind of um. I don't know, what's, what's the right way of saying? Like, how are they going to get out of this type feel to it, right? Sure. Like, you know, there's no escape. There's nowhere to go. Like, the enemy forces are closing in on them. Like, how is the doctor going to figure out a way that they're going to get out of this, like, this scrape? And, you know, um, so I, I, do, I do like this style story. And I think this is one of the better base under siege stories as far as, like, just being, like, a classic. Like, the other ones, like, the Daleks, Power of the Daleks is kind of like, I felt like even though you could still classify that as one, it wasn't as much because the Daleks were like within. Like this is right. a literally like, they're hunkered down in a base and the Cybermen are attacking from outside. And I, I don't know, I think this is a, a pretty good story. Uh, I like this one a lot. I think I, it seems like I liked it better than you did. Yeah, I don't hate it. Um, I do think it's solid. It's a solid outing. Uh, I think the Cybermen do kind of add a level of creepiness. I think my thing with the base under siege story is that I think in conjunction with phasing out the pure historical stuff, I understand that those got expensive and they always kind of did worse in the ratings and the sci-fi stuff anyway. So there's kind of a money ball aspect to just doing sci-fi stuff. Uh, But what was great about like uh, season two, when things were really clicking is that there was like this variety with every story. So you're like, okay, if I don't like, if I wasn't feeling the web planet, like there's going to be something kind of cool and maybe more historical base coming up. That's completely different. So I think what you trade off with kind of crunching the numbers and going like this kind of story can work and gives us different possibilities within that kind of realm is I do feel like there is a danger, not necessarily going to happen, but the possibility of a danger exists of everything kind of feeling the same and things bleeding together. And I will say Moonbase is solid, but it did remind me a lot of the 10th planet. They are, there's enough differences in what actually happens that like obviously the moon base stands on its own. But it did feel like we had kind of just recently gotten something like this. And it's also sandwiched between two kind of more personality driven. Um, I don't, I don't, I, I can't speak to how well liked the uh, macro terror is. And we haven't talked about that yet. I know the underwater menace is not particularly beloved. Uh, I have a soft spot for it, but it does feel different from other things. I think between sandwich between those two, the moon base just kind of feels like, oh yeah, another solid outing. Um, but it didn't like inspire a whole lot of um, further thought in me beyond that. Um, I think it's a, I think we have a good guest cast. Um, again, the Cybermen look creepy. I think this plot is pretty. Simple in a good way. I don't mean that in a bad way. I think it's just there's some good ingenuity amongst our uh, our core cast. Uh, I think they still haven't figured out what to do with Jamie yet, which is why he's like out of commission for a lot of this. Um, well, and uh, something I'll say is when the story started, right? Like I said, they started they commissioned this right away during the tenth planet. It wasn't until a couple of weeks that they said Jamie was going to be a companion. So, like, sure. the first couple of drafts of this, Jamie wasn't in it at all. And so, 
he definitely gets sidelined really quick and really awkwardly in that first episode. Yeah, he basically like, blasts um, himself out. Yeah, it's it, and that was clearly. I think some of that had to do with time, and some of that just to be like, we don't have room in the story for this character, so let's knock him out for a little bit. It wasn't even clear to me like what happened at first. It, I, same, same. <laughs> but no, I mean, all that said, that all sounds negative. I do think that, I do think it is a good set of episodes. I think four is a perfect length for something like this. Agreed. Uh, yeah. Um, it just didn't inspire a whole lot of like I have a whole bunch of talking points about this. Like I, it was good. I'm excited to see more Cybermen stuff. I'm glad that they've kind of found a second villain. I think it kind of opens up opportunities for the show. Um, but yeah, I think next week's episode might have more going for it thematically, which might make it an easier thing to talk about, even if it's. Well, I don't know. I won't. I won't say whether it's more or less solid than this one. I'll just say right now, Moonbase is a good. This almost feels like what could be the new net average for the second Doctor era. We talk about that one a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this might be I, I the new standard. Yeah, um, that's fair. Uh, so let's let's talk about some of the background here. Let's do it. Um, let's see. This is like I said. I mentioned before. This is written by Kit Peddler. Uh, the plan was for him to write this whole thing by himself. Then he got sick, so Jerry Davis had to finish it, so it gets credited. So even though only Kip Peddler is credited for it, Jerry Davis does a lot of the, the script writing for it again. So Jerry Davis has been very busy this season, if you've noticed. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you know, he's been very busy. He's had a... He's had a, he's had a this, this whole season has had a lot of, like, unfortunate stuff uh, happen, but... I do think, I think I mentioned this last week and I'm going to say it. I think it gets a little more fluid behind the scenes from here. I don't think, I think less will get sick. But I could be mistaken. Um, cool, cool. But yeah, so lots of, lots of Jerry Davis so far this season. Um, it was directed by Morris Berry. This is his first thing. He's going to direct two more serials. Nice. Uh, all in the 60s. So uh, we'll be seeing more of him, not for this season, but he, he directs one in season five, one in season six. He also appears as an actor oh. in, a, in a 70s, like late 70s story. So at some point he becomes an actor. That's cool. Uh, yeah. And I just want to say, I, I thought this was a well-directed story from what, from the two episodes that exist. Um, I would agree. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I think that that helped it a lot. Because it is, it is in just one one or two sets, but I do feel like you got a, a good feel for those sets. I I think he used the space well. It never felt uh, claustrophobic or anything, right? Which um, which you yeah, which obviously he wasn't going for, so it's good. Um, animated by Planet Fifty Five, the two missing episodes were animated by Planet Fifty Five. This, is, this was their third and final animation. Their first one was The Reign of Terror. Their second one was The Tenth Planet. And this was their third one, The Moon Base. And I think this one's their best. I really like the animation for this one. I don't know how you felt. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I think there were no obvious issues with it, which I think is probably uh, a testament to how good it was. Because there's some, like, the animation's really good, but it almost feels too fluid and making kind of directorial decisions that 
although they make sense, doesn't make make it feel like a classic Doctor Who episode. Then there were ones like I think the ones for Power of the Daleks was a little um when the characters are standing there, they look really awkward, like they're like their mouths open and stuff. None of that was here. I think they were yeah. able to convey how creepy the Cybermen were. It felt like I was watching. It didn't it didn't interrupt the flow going in and out of the animation and the uh, complete episodes, you know, live live action ones. Uh, it felt like pretty pretty fluid. Uh, yeah, no, I think this is probably one of the better animations we've seen thus far. That reminds me, I learned something about the power of the Daleks recently that I didn't know before when we did our episode. So I'll mention yeah. it. Now. Apparently, originally that was supposed to be in black and white only, and then at the last second, the the studio said no, we wanted in color, so they had to go like color it. Oh, so they had to color it based on like the black and white. That's why I guess some the colors look like a lot of people don't like the color palette of it. Okay. Uh, I don't. I don't remember if we commented on that, but. Uh, yeah, it was, it was supposed to be in black and white, and so they recolored it. So I think, and it, I mean, that doesn't fix how awkward some of the motion was in that serial. But I do think, knowing that, I would have chosen to watch it in black and white, and that may have made it at least a more enjoyable watch as well. I do think that was the worst animation we've had thus far. Yeah, uh, I think just the, the monumental nature of the story and like where it, kind of where it places in the history of Doctor Who kind of... I think something like the color palette just wasn't in the forefront of my mind, but I do think I do just to me, I know it's pedantic, but like if the episode wasn't black and white, like shouldn't it be in black and white? Um, Obviously it doesn't really mean much. And um, the color palette didn't bother me. I I was more focused on like, why are there, why are there mouths just like hanging open? (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. And fixing the color palette's not going to fix that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, this was this was a solid. This was a, I keep saying solid, but I, I can't think of another word. This was a good. This was a good animation. Um, yeah. They think they did a good job with this one. Uh, cast notes, I guess. Yeah, let's do some cast notes. Yeah, we got. Oh, there's, there's, there's no. Uh, all the music was just stock music. There's no uh, um, composer for this one. Yeah, so. and the, the music didn't stand out to me on this one anyway. No. Yeah, um, I, I do think um, that's something that could have elevated the story that had some really good music to it uh, especially like a kind of a really tense story like this one but um i guess it wasn't on budget i don't know yeah it's interesting because like i wouldn't say the daleks have like a theme but i do feel like there's kind of like a musical palette that we get used to with dalek stories i don't know that cybermen have um developed that yet it'll be interesting to see if they kind of stumble upon something where it's like oh this is a cybermen story listen to that music <laughs> Yeah, that, that's a good point. I don't know. Honestly, like, I, 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 I don't have an opinion on that at the moment. Yeah, it's something we can track as we go along. Yeah. Uh, guest cast. Uh, Patrick Barr plays Hobson, kind of a, maybe our lead guest character. Most people will recognize him from 1983's Octopussy. Um, I believe that's a Roger Moore. That's James a Roger Hobson. Moore one. Yep. Uh, as a British ambassador. I've never actually seen that movie, but I do know it's Roger Moore. Uh, well, if you do, you might recognize the guy who plays Hobson as a British ambassador. <laughs> uh, Andre, uh, Andre Moran as Benoit. Uh, probably most well-known as Sergeant Francois Chevalier in six Pink Panther movies. Uh, Michael Wolf plays Nils, probably best known for 1977's A Bridge Too Far, 1981's Victory. John Rolfe plays Sam. 
we previously saw him in the War Machines, and we'll see him again in the Green Death. Ooh. Ah, that's a great one. I love that. That's a oh, great story. Yeah? Uh, okay. I'm looking forward. It's a terrible title, but it actually fits. Oh, it does, it does fit. Yeah. Is it is it is it relatively well, soon, or are we wait? Are we going to no, wait for that? Uh, let's see. We're in season. What season is that? I want to say that's season ten. That's season. 10. Ooh, yeah, we got some time. Yeah. Uh, Mark Heath plays Ralph. Kind of a journeyman career. Appeared in the uh, Avengers TV show, The Bill, lots of television playhouse type stuff. Ellen Rowe played Dr. Evans. He'll appear in three more Doctor Who stories. Uh, the Time Warrior. Horror of Fang Rock. That sounds amazing. It's a great, that's a great one, absolutely. And Full Circle, which also doesn't sound like a, uh, it doesn't have like the blink blink. <laughs> yeah, no, it broke the, it broke the, uh, it broke the pattern. Yeah, but I will say, uh, all four of his serials I, are ones I like, I guess. Got some stuff to look forward to here. It's yeah. funny how I sit here and go like, ooh, there are more stories. It's like, yeah, there's like <laughs> 26 years more <laughs> or whatever. Uh, John Wills, Sonny Willis, Peter Green, Keith Goodman, and Reg Whitehead played the Cybermen. Mm. And contributing to the voices is a familiar name, Peter Hawkins. Also contributed voices to the Daleks. And we'll continue to do voices for the Cybermen for the near future. You know, so Peter Hawkins is a guy I feel like we've never considered for MVP, and maybe we've overlooked him a little bit. Yeah, I thought about that, and I, 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 I sort of foolishly haven't focused much on like voice, voice, and like puppet operator. I'm not really puppets here because it's not like the Daleks; like these are people in Cybermen suits, but. Uh, I've sort of overlooked him in general, and I feel like that might be a mistake because now we have here's a guy who is behind. I alluded to this earlier, kind of the driving force in terms of like what we actually hear of the the two villains that have stuck on this show, and I feel like that's that's not nothing. Not at all. Yeah, I think uh, Doctor Who owes a a huge debt to Peter Hawkins here. In fact, he's lasted longer in the show than William Hartnell. Uh, That's an excellent point. Uh, yeah, kind of a little piece of continuity there between the two eras thus far. And it's interesting that the Daleks and Cybermen voices aren't totally dissimilar. They're not, you know, they're not completely to different creations, but I feel like they do fit um, their respective villains. Like the Daleks almost have like this like edge to them. Well, the Cybermen kind of sound kind of more logical and collected a little bit, but they're both still very mechanic and creepy. Uh, it would freak me out as a kid. It kind of freaks me out a little bit as an adult. So yeah, fair enough. Yeah, let me see. I'm gonna look at Peter Hawkins real quick. See how, how much longer he's gonna be on the show for. Yeah, go for it. Um, see if I can fill a little bit of time here. Um, I guess this is the first Doctor Who story that's actually set on the moon. And I'm glad you mentioned kind of like the space race going on historically in the background. Uh, that of course we are um, a couple of years away from winning USA USA. But um, yeah, it's a little bit, a little bit of actual U.S. history, kind of like how the Olympics came up in the Underwater Menace. Um, now we have a little bit of like real history bleeding into the show and kind of informing what they do. So that's, I think that's great. It is, it is for sure. Uh, unfortunately, Hawkins leaves the show. Uh, not he's only with us for a couple more serials. Um, oh, that's a shame. So yeah. Uh, I guess you just, they, I don't know. Well, I'll look that up before. We, I'll make sure to mention when this is last. 
Yeah, yeah, please do. Um, I don't know how they're going to... It'll be interesting to see how these two kind of villain sets evolve past his contributions. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll have to find out. Uh, If there's nothing else, should we start jumping into breaking down the four episodes? Let's do it. All right. We start, as we always do, with episode one. It's you. The Phantom Piper. As we recall, uh, ending of last serial, was this the one where like they were, he was trying to show Demon the controls and it started like kind of going out of control a little bit? Is that where yeah, we left off? Exactly, yeah. Like they're like, oh, he can't even pilot this thing. Ben and Paul are giving Dr. Hall a hard time. But Ark's like, yeah, I can. Let's go to Mars right now. And like the whole thing starts shaking out of control. And Right. And we weren't sure. We were kind of had this, this question a little bit of um, is this an intentional, is he like, is, is the doctor's go- getting got here by Jamie, or is this another kind of like he's kind of moving the uh, chess pieces around to go to where he wants to go? I th- I think my interpretation of how this went, I, I think he legitimately just got got flustered by Jamie because it doesn't seem cause he's trying to go to Mars. They end up on the moon, and he seems a little annoyed that it didn't quite go where he wanted it to. Um, that's my impression. Yeah, and well, and he gives the explanation that like, oh, it didn't work because of the gravitron. Right, 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 right. But that also could be bullshit. I mean... <laughs> it's hard it, to tell. It's because, still... If we keep going into the Second Doctor era, it becomes increasingly hard to tell. And I kind of like the interpretation of he's usually bullshitting when he seems like he's <laughs> up against it. That's a, that's a more fun interpretation for me. Yeah. And and what I do like is you you still have that. I mean, like, they, they leave it open to where, like, they offer an explanation, but, like, it's open. A lot of Doctor Who is open to your own headcanon, especially, I think, with this, the second Doctor, about exactly how much is the plan and how much um, is, is him, like, just, like, stalling and, and just doing things. Because <laughs> I think there's a great scene in that second episode where, like, the Doctor kind of lets Polly into his thought process, right? Where sure. he's, like, looking under the microscope, and he's like, oh... Oh, but I need I need more time. What's going on here? Is this? And Paul's like, "Oh, you found something." He's like, "No, oh, I just yeah. I one more time, right?" <laughs> and so I mean, <laughs> he definitely bullshit, but sometimes like he's also like moving chess pieces, and so it's um, or sometimes he's doing both at the same time. And so I think I think you know it's up to your head, Canon, how much is what. But I agree with you. I like the idea that he was just bullshitting the whole time. Yeah, and I think it works either way. Either he's like an eccentric genius or he's like an eccentric, like brilliant improviser or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but either way, um, uh, I, I think it really, it's a, it's a good characterization. And I'm looking forward to getting out of this season when we have more uh, actual footage because Troughton so far has been a delight. Absolutely. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting to see more of him. Uh, yeah, we, we also have, we continue this sort of role reversal between the first and second Doctor and that th- th- we continue this trend of the Doctor like not really wanting to, he wants to leave and his companions are like, no, let's explore. A complete 180 from uh, William Hartnell's Doctor. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is where we get, <laughs> we're on the moon. You alluded to this earlier. We're on the moon. Uh, ben, Polly, and Jamie are all out exploring, having a good time, uh, enjoying the lesser gravity that's afforded them by the moon. And Jamie, 
I'll tell you what the TARDIS wiki says. Not that it clarifies anything further for me. It says, uh, they begin to lark about in the lower gravity despite the doctor's warnings, but Jamie overstretches himself and knocks himself out. I don't know what overstretching himself means. Like he just, he jumps up he, too high. And yeah, I think he jumps up oxygen, too high. Loses oxygen. Yeah. Which doesn't <laughs> explain why he was like, seemed like he was sick and dying and yeah, loose and say- rolling. And He's almost dead. Hallucinating. <laughs> yeah. He's hallucinating. Like, you know, he's not hallucinating, but he's... he's he thinks he's... We think he's hallucinating. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, no, none, none of that makes sense, but that's... Whatever. They were just... It's awkward. They were just trying to, like, do something with him. Well, I'll give it this, too. It's a problem that I think the Macro Terror next week kind of uh, finds a clever way of getting around. Ben and Jamie essentially kind of fill the same general role. Young man. Yeah. Right. So how do you, action, how do you differentiate man. them? Action man, exactly. Yeah, you know? and that's kind of what the role was given to Ian. Ian was the action man, right? And so you still have that role here. But there's two problems. You're right, Ben and Jamie kind of fit the same role. And also the doctor is a lot more, like, Crowden can move around a lot better than Hartnell. This is true. Yeah, that's a good point. He's a little uh, more spry. Yeah, and so uh, that also makes the action man a little bit less, uh, you know, less necessary as well. You're you're right. You, um, it is kind of awkward. I think that's why Apolly is so th- thrilling when like she's the one kind of like putting things together, and when she's less of like a damsel in distress. It's something we've harped on a little bit, and like it's not like the worst thing in the world. Uh, but when this character is clearly capable of more, it can kind of be uh, disappointing when they relegate her um, because it fills a need. And I think that's part of what is strong about the moon base is we're kind of back to Polly kind of almost being the brains behind the operation a little bit. Uh, that, that's really cool. Let's, uh, let's talk about that real quick. Yeah. There's something, there's something we, we, kind of, we, we talked about for a while, but we kind of stopped. Uh, I think it's time to bring it up again. And let's talk about how the 60s Doctor Who is considered sexist by some. Yeah, a, a big talking point for the people who who will say that it's sexist will be this episode, right? Because the doctor's kind of like, "Oh, Polly, just make some coffee." <laughs> sure. Yeah, um, it's not it's, it's not great. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I, I didn't show I didn't give you this this link. There there's a kind of a behind the scenes documentary, but I didn't show you this link because like Fraser Hines says explicitly how long he's on the show for. Got it. Uh, and so and they also like give you glimpses of Cybermen throughout the year. So I, I didn't send you the link. But um Uncle Will defends this, basically saying like, you know, the doctor like had a reason for giving people coffee. It calmed them down in the moment, right? Um right. but but let's let's kind of go back to the conversation in general because we haven't had it in a while. Um and I think it's because like we had trouble finding examples of it at the time, right? Like other than Susan kind of being generically written, like Barbara was such a strong, confident, capable character. It made it hard to be like, yeah, this, this era is Yeah, when, when she was on the show, it really did kind of shut the conversation down for a while. Because like Susan was kind of just, I think Susan was a disappointment because her first episode is like her best. And from yeah. there, it's like, She's like baiting for the villains or like she doesn't know anything or like whatever. Mm-hmm. So Barbara filled that role for a while. And Vicky, I think, was also pretty smart and intelligent. And I think mm-hmm. the show kind of got in trouble, even though I didn't really 
put together again missing footage kind of helps out a little bit mm-hmm. but dodo's character was kind of like wearing kind of shorter skirts and stuff and like that was kind of new for doctor who female characters so i think that kind of raised some people's hackles a little bit right maybe rightfully so you could argue maybe that's the show trying to be more modern or if it was just kind of a uh, a short-sighted move by a a short-stinted producer i don't know um but yeah, I feel with Polly, we kind of get, there's like two Pollys. There's the ones that kind of are just like generic bait to be like tied to posts and wait for like Doctor to show up. Or there's this one where it's like, I'm, get, I'm getting us out of here if you guys aren't going to get serious. And I feel like you well, never know which one you're going to get. True. My, my opinion is, is this, because I, I noticed the last serial that Barry Lambert had anything to do with was the Dalek's master plan, right? Like it was kind of because that started a production under her her wing. And then, you know, you had the John Wilde stuff at the beginning of season four. Um, but I, I do feel like you've gotten, like the, the woman, the woman companion role has been less like, I mean, there's been a couple of serials where Polly was allowed to like, you know, be the confident uh, kind of brains behind the operation, but less consistent than it was when Verity Lambert was producer. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think you're right. Um, I think just having a woman be a major part behind the scenes in a creative and executive role. I mean, there were times like she was like, they, she would be talking, you know, like for instance, like I think she's talking about the web planet. She's like, yeah, why can't Barbara be the hero here? Like, mm-hmm. you know, the doctor going to be here. Like, why, why not Barbara? And so I think having, having a woman behind the scenes advocate for the women on the, the women characters in the show helps you know, allow them to be confident, capable members of the team. And that voice isn't there anymore. And so it's a less consistent uh, occurrence. I have to wonder if like younger girl is throwing off like this mostly male writing team. Cause Barbara, I wouldn't <laughs> certainly wouldn't call her old. She's probably like, she's probably like our age, like we're closer to our age. Than I feel like she was in her thirties, maybe, maybe older twenties. Yeah, but you know, uh, Polly's probably early twenties. Um, Vicky was probably Vicky was supposed to be a teenager. teenager. Yeah, Susan was like a teenager. Dodo was probably early twenties. I don't know if that's throwing them off a little bit. Like it's kind of like a more ingenue is not the right term. That's like that's a completely different medium. But um, I wonder then like to them because they're young. They're, they're maybe they're a little bit more naive. And then plus girl equals. <laughs> which is like so, 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 which is not like not my way of thinking but like i think that that might be maybe where the people who say like 60s doctor who i don't know was it classic doctor who in general or like 60s doctor who specifically is sexist um i i would say some people i mean you have different people i think 60s gets the the biggest kind of criticism of it um and it kind of varies on on the era when you when you go beyond it beyond yeah. here um, and this is just from my my experience you know like like judging by what people have said online you know sure uh, but I, I, I would say sixties got a bigger brunt of it than other ones um, so i would st- yeah I would say this might be like the time when like the people who kind of have that point of view might have more of a point than previous years and it certainly i think it says something again to two of your points 
one, it hasn't had a, it hasn't been a point of conversation for us in a while. Cause it's just, I mean, I guess if Dodo had stayed on for longer, we maybe would have had that conversation again. And two, <laughs> without that, without that perspective behind the scenes in a, in a role of power, I think it is easier to kind of be less consistent with characterizations. And this is a show trying, trying to kind of write itself a little bit. Cause I think that things have settled down a little bit from earlier, but we still have a pretty new lead character here. And um, Ben and Polly have kind of changed their roles on the show quite a bit from companion to kind of um, audience surrogates back to companions a little bit. So there's still some inconsistencies here and there. And I think that that might be altering the chemistry of the, the alchemy of the show a little bit. Those are just my I observations. I, I think you're right. I, I do think, um, uh, you know, Ben and Polly were created to be kind of young, hip characters to kind of go along with an old, uh, you know, kind of grumpy doctor, right? And the mm-hmm. doctor changed, and then they added another companion. And so I think you're right. I think they're having they're having trouble like narrowing down exactly like who has what role. Which is why sometimes Ben is really headstrong and smart, and sometimes he's kind of obstinate, and sometimes he's kind of stupid. <laughs> and um, <laughs> you know, so I, I do think I do think the conversation definitely has merit. I don't want to like dismiss it out of hand. Um, I, I I don't sense any contempt for any of the, the any of the female characters. The one female character, I don't sense, I don't sense that the writers hate Polly or anything. But no, well, I, I, there's I, room I, for improvement. There's room for improvement. Of course, there's different kinds of sexism. Right? There's, there's contempt, but there's also like, oh, here's what, here's the role women fit, and I think yep. that's when when people get upset about the coffee thing, and they're like, okay, well, she's a woman, she must be a secretary getting coffee, right? Which and that's fair. It, it, there's right. yeah, it's like why why, yeah. why can't Ben go get the coffee? You know, <laughs> like right. Uh, yeah, and I don't remember if Ben was in that scene or not, but um, he may not have been. Yeah, um, but. Nonetheless, like it, it uh, y- you would you would guess that the writer wouldn't think to have Ben get a coffee in a way that he would Polly, but you know, right? Uh, it it is what it is. I think it's okay to look back and try to like, you know, is this sexist? I'm I'm not even sure it's for us to say, but yeah. um, you do miss the days of like Barbara almost being like the catalyst for of change within the doctor, right? Like right, you think about exactly. you think about that two part edge of destruction epi- like pair of episodes that we, we haven't seen anything ki- kind of like it since in uh, in three full seasons. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, and yeah. I, I I do think it's worth worth mentioning. You know, Annika Wills, you know, she does defend it, and, and she felt like Polly in this serial, and you kind of mentioned it too before I started this debate. Polly does get to be the brains of the serial. She she gets to do a lot to help save the day here more than I think Ben or Jamie. Oh, I agree. Jamie like, doesn't do shit in this one. Jamie, uh, there's a reason <laughs> Jamie doesn't do shit. I wouldn't even argue she does more than Ben in the oh, serial. I, I I'm with you. No, and she um, gets she even gets to like kind of be the alchemist a little bit. She's like the scientist in this. Yes, and so I think I think it's interesting that people like will narrow down this one because of the coffee thing and ignore other parts too. Yeah. I mean, certain things just hit different people different ways. Right. Um, Yeah, that's true. So yeah, it'll be an interesting thing to track uh, as we move along. Um, Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad we opened up that line of conversation again. 
Uh, let's see. So Jamie just overstretched himself. <laughs> uh, and he kind of gets, he's knocked unconscious and he gets dragged into uh, the titular moon base. And so everyone goes to follow him. Uh, this is where we meet the staff of the moon base. Uh, let's see. And we kind of get the general setup of what's going on, what the central conflict is. We have Hobson, who's sort of like the chief of staff, I guess. Or um, he's not really like the yeah. he's not like the lead. But he's like the he's like the liaison for like this base and like central control back on Earth, right? Yeah. And there's like a there's a there's a disease going across the uh, going across the moon base, right? Yeah, and I imagine a disease in a place like that where there's no place to go and no help for days would be tough. Yeah, an infectious disease storyline has kind of hit a little different nowadays than uh, True. a couple of years ago. At least this time Dodo didn't sneeze or something, and that's why everyone's <laughs> dying. So that's, that's, a, that's a step up. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Yeah, and complicated things. The doctor is also sick. Right, not not the doctor, not Doctor Who, but I mean like the the base. Oh yeah, the base, base doctor. doctor. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I gotta be careful with that for this storyline yeah. <laughs> here. We had a couple doctors running around. Uh, let's see. Oh, and this is where we learn because they let they let Ben Polly and the Doctor in, and this is where we learn about the gravitron. I don't know if you want to elucidate on the uh, gravitron a little bit here. Like what what the great. base what the base is here for and like what it's yeah it's a it's a great uh, great name um, I yeah, love it we kind of talked about this earlier but it, this is a base that controls all the weather on planet Earth and they apparently this one it's very ridiculous this one <laughs> little thing no, it's actually quite large um, this one huge little like gray thing I don't know like when you look at it it's just like this big like like almost like a satellite. I don't. I don't know what the. Yeah, no, I think that's yeah. a. The, the focus point of the satellite, and then it's like weighed down by this huge like metal ball. <laughs> um, so by the way, a behind the scenes thing is during the first episode, the thing fell and it almost fell on Patrick Troughton. Oh Jesus! Um, they killed the second doctor. <laughs> uh, it would have been terrible, but um, fortunately, nothing. It didn't hit anyone, but. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, and that's so really it's this really it's this hugely powerful device that controls all the weather on the planet Earth, um, and it's kind of malfunctioning, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's. Well, I, I can't tell if it's. Yeah, I think it's starting to become an issue. I think it comes to a yeah. head later on, um, right when the hurricane shows up. But for now, it's just not. It's not working the way that they want it to. And then they got. People kind of dropping, not dropping dead, but dropping sick. So, moon based contact, space control, which I think is like their, like the Earth, Earthbound, kind of like central, central command. And central command, mm-hmm. space command says, uh, we're going to quarantine the moon base again. Uh, hits different nowadays. Yeah, it does. That's true. So, that kind of puts the uh, walls up a little bit uh, for our characters. They're all, they're all trapped on this tiny little base. But this, uh, so yeah, the, the conflict is the conflict is clear. Even if the Cybermen weren't going to show up, this would be a pretty pretty good setup for a story. Uh, I should mention 
um, someone on the crew lets Hobson know that uh, it seems like someone was listening on their conversation with uh, Space Command. Right, which they kind of dismiss as being, like, unlikely. Yeah, there's a lot but of... I think it's, what's it's nice one... about this is... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things where, like, it's completely reasonable for those characters to feel that way, but, like, as an audience member, you're like, you idiot! It's like, oh, <laughs> well, Hobson, especially in episode two, I mean, he kind of yeah. draws this incorrect conclusion of, like, all of our problems are because of these people that just showed up. But, like, I don't know. I think that's a reasonable thing to think. It's incredibly reasonable. <laughs> it's just, like, what other option would you have in front of you? Uh, anyway, we'll, go, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Uh, we're in the sick bay now. Uh, we kind of cut back and forth a little bit, because Ben gets assigned... This is, if they're here, they have to make themselves useful, right? So the doctor's like, mm-hmm. I can work in the sick bay. I'm a doctor, after all. And Ben gets put in like the pantry basically or like the food sex area yes. with like another guy right so we kind of learned two things um Polly sits with jamie to kind of help him like recuperate and this goes into that hallucination you were talking about earlier right he thinks he thinks he sees the oh, Grim he, reaper but it's like right. the scottish version <laughs> yeah i would i have no idea if that's like a real thing or not but yeah the the phantom piper <laughs> I don't know if it's real either. Um, it's one of those things where in my brain, I'm like, it, it's, I don't know if it's racist to be like, oh, that sounds like something real. But like, I wouldn't be surprised. If like, <laughs> oh no, yeah, no. I, we all believe that in Scotland, like the Phantom Piper, that's a real thing. It just sounds, <laughs> it sounds made up to me. <laughs> um, so, okay. So he, for all we know, he's losing his mind. He's starting to, starting to circle the drain a little bit. Right. Meanwhile, Ben in the food area notices that there's holes in some of the uh, bags of food, and uh, there's no one can really account for why that is. Right, it's not like there's a bunch of rats on the station. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, there's no moss on here, so it's good to know. Oh, he <laughs> works with a guy named Ralph, and Ralph is only <laughs> Ralph is only significant because I think he's one of the early. One of the early victims of the Cybermen here, right? Yes. It should be mentioned, um, in the actual episode broadcast of this, they let you know pretty early on the Cybermen are around. And in the animation, they try to keep it like a secret or they, they delay the actual like reveal of the Cybermen for some for whatever reason. Um, to some degree, I think that's a good move, although don't they usually advertise these things like days in advance, like the return of the Cybermen or the return of the Daleks, right? Yeah, well, well, and the, well, that's kind of what's, what's kind of weird. Like, you would think there'd be a reason. Episodes called the Moon Base, not like the previous ones, like the Power of the Daleks, right? Oh, right. Like, so, so there was some reasonable explanation, ex, not explanation, some reasonable expectation that maybe some of the people watching wouldn't know about the Cybermen. So the fact that they put the Cybermen in so early, it's kind of like. Huh. <laughs> Whereas, like, with a, when you're buying the moon base on DVD, like, anyone who's buying this probably knows the Cybermen are in it. You know what I mean? Like, they made the they made the exact opposite choices that they should have. It seems like it, yeah. But <laughs> I didn't really think about that. I think I think the reason the reason why that is is that the people making the DVD, they're like, oh, it'd be cool to like when you know someone something's coming, then like you're looking forward to it. You're like, oh, when are they going to reveal the Cybermen? When are they going to reveal the Cybermen? Where it's here, um, when they broadcast it, maybe if someone didn't know the Cybermen was in, like, okay, I'll check out Doctor Who. Like, you want to keep them watching. You don't right. want them changing the channel. And so you put the Cybermen in there early 
and that keeps them watching. So like, oh, this is Cybermen. I I loved them two months ago when I watched them. I'm gonna keep watching this. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and they've got, they've done this before with the Daleks anyway. I'm going like surprise this is a dalek story even though like they're usually called like the dalek secret invasion or whatever but right. nonetheless um so yeah it's just a two different chains of thought that maybe should have swapped who knows uh let's see oh we're back in the uh yeah ralph ralph gets attacked ralph doesn't die here does he he just kind of no he gets sick he gets infected that's right okay yeah, it's infected. I, i'm trying to remember if ralph makes it i think he might no, 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 he doesn't. I, uh, okay, I don't know. No, there's, I think, I think the, the, the Dr. Evans, who we're about to meet, I think becomes like the agent of yeah. Discord yeah. towards the end. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Dr. Evans, we're back in the sick bay, and uh, he is awoken. Um, and he starts yelling, starts yelling about like a, a, a silver hand, and then he like dies. Seemingly. Yes, he seemingly dies. Uh, so the doctor reports this to Hobson and uh, yeah, Hobson's response is to do nothing, right? I <laughs> mean, like, like, like we have to, we have to, we have to report this to space control. And he's like, no. Well, I mean, what's he going to report? I guess you can report that someone died, but but there is a sort of element of like I have to, I have to keep the show going here. I have to, right? We, this, this. The, controlling the weather is too important and you may have a point <laughs> i mean i think absolutely especially <laughs> like yeah I, I absolutely think he has a point <laughs> but uh they do allow um the doctor to observe dr evans's body and this is where we get to the climax of episode one right i don't know if you want to walk us through it a little bit <clears throat> well you know polly's spent most of the episode like tending to jamie in the sick bay because you know make sure he gets water and keep him healthy and stuff like that. And uh, Dr. Evans' body has gone missing, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, Same with Ralph's body, I should mention, right. too. Ralph's, Ralph's body like, is gone. Well, so, sorry, I, I, I skipped ahead, though. But yeah. Um, no, that's okay. Jamie sees something, and Polly turns around and screams. But we right. don't see what she sees, right? And so everyone comes in, and they find, um, you know, the body's gone. And the Hobson's just kind of like, oh, Polly's just being silly and nervous. Like, mm-hmm. you know, nothing's really going on here. Uh, but, you know, of course, the doctor's more inclined to believe Polly than, than that. Um, and so, but, but another, another person got sick. And so Hobson is going to go see that. And she's pretty pissed at the doctor. And basically tells him he's going to kick him out of the moon base so he doesn't come up with Evans's body. Because he, he's clearly blaming the missing body on the doctor, which, you know, again. again they are, they are intruders. Yeah, yeah, they are intruders. Um, and so the doctor leaves, leaving Polly alone with Jamie and the other sick people. When, um, when she goes to get some more water for Jamie. So I guess they're out of water. Mm-hmm. And Jamie's there by himself. And he wakes up, and he sees the, a Cyberman walking towards him. And he's convinced it's a Phantom Piper. <laughs> yeah, that's the end of episode one. The, the Cybermen have officially returned. And that gets us to episode two. 
You say you searched all the base? Yes, all of it. Every nook and cranny? Yes. No chance of anyone hiding anywhere? None whatever. Did your men search in here? Well, did they? Well, there were always people in here, so they probably... Did they search in here? No. There's nowhere in here they could hide. Moonbase episode two. Uh, yeah, so the the Cybermen's there—they're like they're like they're the ones stealing the bodies. I, I'm sure anyone watching at this point will have put together. Um, so it seems like, I mean, at this point, I mean, it's pretty clear they're they're making the uh, people sick so they can like use their bodies for some nefarious purpose. But it's not expressly stated just yet, right? Um, yeah, Polly sees the Cybermen exit with one of the one of the bodies in the sick bay. She screams again. Everyone gathers, and yeah, again, um, we kind of have this conflict between Hobson and the rest of the crew. So she's like, Polly says, "It's is, I know what I saw." Hobson says, "You have no evidence," and this is where he kind of starts confiding to his crew. I think this is because of the doctor and um, his little band of friends here. Um, everything started as soon as they showed up, which again. Makes sense to me. I know he's wrong, but uh, only we know that. Yeah. And so I, I kind of want to give you uh, some headcanon for myself here. It's you know we we, we mentioned edge destruction earlier. Uh, of course, a big thing in that serial was kind of this idea that the TARDIS is a sentient. Is sent to have sentience. It can know. respond and kind of uh, as behavior. As behavior, and at the time, I, I have a vague memory of you being like, "It'll be interesting to see how this uh, plays into stories in the future." Um, it's never come up again thus far, right? <laughs> like, no, we're, we're in not, season not four once. now, and, uh, and uh, it will eventually come up again. Uh, and I won't say when, but it's not like a common part of the story, right? Okay. Uh, as I think you probably would have guessed by now. Like, had you I'd even sort of kind of forgotten, forgotten about that? About that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, um, <laughs> and I don't blame you because, like, they, they haven't even they haven't even mentioned it. It's not even like a situation where it hasn't been important again. They haven't even mentioned it again. Right. Uh, exactly. And of course, like all the people who were involved in that episode are gone now. Uh, That's a good point. Um, but both both on stage and off. Yeah. Um, but in my head canon, right? The TARDIS is a sentient being. And, you know, he's like, isn't it such a weird coincidence that the doctor's always showing up exactly when these things are happening? In my opinion, it's not a coincidence, right? The TARDIS landed them here intentionally so they could help this moon base send off the Cybermen. Which could explain why he didn't go to Mars. It could explain, yeah, which I think is a better explanation than the Gravitron, right? And, oh. and also, like, you know, why do, why do all these terrible things happen when the doctor appears? Well, because the TARDIS is seeking, like, helping him out, like, getting him to places where he's needed. And this isn't necessarily an idea I've come up with. I'm not, I'm not that necessarily that smart. But um, <laughs> uh, I, I, think, I think it makes sense. And I don't know if that was in, I don't imagine that was the intention. Maybe it was. Uh, but I think um you know that's my head canon about how all that works i kind of like it because it you know there's certain things we just accept because it's tv it's like our characters show up it's not going to be like ah beautiful view and then they just take off we understand something has to happen but i like that there's i like when there's like in-universe explanations for why 
these kind of TV writing conventions are part of the story. Like so I like I like that. I hadn't thought about it. But it, it it A makes sense. B doesn't really interrupt anything. And C it doesn't it doesn't contradict anything. So I think as far as like headcanon explanations, that's that's a strong one, I think. Um I liked it. I'm gonna adopt it. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 I made a ruling. Uh, I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll buy one. Yes, absolutely. Uh, let's see. Oh, okay. We get, this is where we get our ultimatum here. Because the doctor, Ben is like, we should just take off. Yeah. But the doctor stays kind of out of nobility. Like, it's, it's the right thing to do. Um, this is a great speech by the first doctor. I'm glad it's not missing. By the second doctor here. I'm glad it's not missing. Right, yeah, is, agreed. This is his like um their you know evil oh, what's the quote? Let me see if I can get the quote. Or are you just gonna play the audio? Well, let's just play the audio. Why not? Yeah. Let's let let's let Trotton do it himself. Um No Ben, we can't go yet. Well why not? They don't want us here. Because there is something evil here and we must stay. Evil? Don't be daft. Evil is what I meant. There are some corners of the universe which have read the most terrible things. Things which act against everything that we believe in. They must be fought. This disease, for instance, isn't really a disease at all. But I can help you with it. And I think it's such I think it's such a great quote that really I think separates the first doctor from from the second doctor. Or the, the second doctor from the first doctor. You know, like Hartnell would intercede and try to stop bad things from happening, but mostly he was a, he was a non-interventionist approach, right? For the most part. For the most part. Whereas the second doctor, he is he's very purposefully he's, and aggressively trying to stop what he considers these evil forces. He's hands-on. Yeah, he's very hands-on. Um, and so I do think that's a big difference between the two. And I also think it's just a great little speech by Trouton. And I think he really... He has the conviction in his delivery. And I think it'd be a shame if all we had was the audio for it. Agreed. I know you mentioned when we covered Susan departing the show in the uh, Dalek Invasion of Earth that the speech the first doctor gives as a kind of a farewell speech is kind of like a sig- signature moment for the first doctor. Might you say this is? It, it sounds like it's at least a signature moment for the second doctor, but would you call it the, or do you think there's like, think there's other ones uh, coming up in the pipeline here? There's other ones. Um, I will say like, when I think of, if I had to pick one signature moment for the second doctor, it would not be this. Okay. Uh, there's, there's one, he has one of my, one of my favorite monologues of the classic doctor who he has. You haven't seen it yet. Um, That's exciting. But I do think this is a signature moment for the classic doctor, for the second doctor. I love it. I love it. Uh, so Hobson says, that's fine. We're going to give you 24 hours to figure out what's going on or else we're going to make you leave, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Which I guess is fair. Uh, I, I, I'd be hesitant if I were Hobson to really give them that, that long, but it, 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 it works for the uh, purposes of the show here. And this is where we get a little bit of um, interesting little background from the doctor here. Because uh, again, we kind of talked about first 
doctor is sort of like a science doctor, right? Mm-hmm. And this one, the second doctor feels more like a like an actual honest to god medical doctor. I mean, you even get a little background into where he studied. <laughs> yeah, he got a degree from Joseph Lister uh, in 1888. <laughs> pretty incredible stuff. It's pretty incredible stuff. And what I, I like about Lister- it. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, you go first. You go first. Well, I like that. I don't know if it comes up in this episode or the next one, but Polly kind of goes like, you know, 1888 <laughs> was a long time ago. <laughs> Do you think Joseph Lister taught you everything you need? <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't, I don't know if he's, he's been keeping up on his CME hours here at all, but um, <laughs> we should mention too. It gets established somewhere. It's the year 2070. I think they established yeah. that in episode one. So we are we're in, we're in a future that's even a future to us. It's not like. We're in the far off time of 1983. Yeah. And and they kind of bring that up a couple of times because they're like, Paulie's like, I saw a Cyberman later on, I think. And they're like, no one's seen them for a hundred years. Oh, you know I mean? Like, oh, I love when they do stuff like, like that. Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And so that also like, even though she's being honest, like it's part of the reason why they're so doubtful of them. And yeah, so I love good. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, this is where we find out that the... Uh, Graviton really isn't working because it's it's not interve- not interceding with this hurricane that's coming down, coming down. That's he- that's already there on Earth and it's developed, and the graviton really has no effect on it, which is a problem. It's the whole reason it exists. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they're they're doing tests. Hobson's trying to figure it out. Space Control is up his up his ass about it. Um, the doctor's testing things. No one can figure out where this uh, virus is coming from. Like, what could be causing this, right? Right, exactly. And here's, uh, here's where Polly gets attacked, right? Yes, they're back yeah. in, they're in, they're in the sick bay. Ben takes off to get some supplies. Yeah, the Cyberman attacks both Jamie and Polly. It looks like the Cyberman's going to take Jamie, but he just, he decides not to. <laughs> just takes another body. And do you remember why the Cyberman decides not to? I, I don't. So it's, it's presented as a mystery when it happens in the episode. Like, oh, why isn't the Cyberman taking Jamie? But the reason is because he's not effective, right? Because oh, right. mm-hmm. the Cybermen have been infecting people with mind control. But Jamie overextended himself and knocked himself out. Like, he, wasn't, he, didn't ha- he didn't have the virus, right? He doesn't have the virus. So like, the Cyberman didn't waste its time with Jamie. Look, it, yeah, I mean, it's solid. It makes sense. And I do like that it's a mystery... Because we're getting we're getting close to the resolution of like how is everyone getting sick, and mm-hmm. it's one of those things that it is kind of like a I don't know why anyone could it's it's kind of a it's there's a couple steps they have to take to get there, but it doesn't feel so out of left field that like no one could have ever figured it out. You know what I mean? Right. Like I could see yeah. someone really really bright putting it together. This is not like csi miami or someone's like hey the, the, the fedex guy's shoes are too clean it's a bomb or whatever <laughs> yes i hear what you're saying um so I, I do appreciate stuff like that um oh yeah this is this, this is where you, you mentioned this scene already um this is where <laughs> the doctor kind of stalls by acting like he's like really onto something here because thompson's about to throw him out right yeah like he's he's yeah because they here's where they bring up the Cybermen, and right. he's he's had enough of their their shit, and he's and you know uh you have to go out the the 
whether things malfunctioning, people are getting sick. You have these new people who might be causing a bunch of terrible stuff to happen. Like it makes sense. He would want them just gone. Cause then that, that's at least one less thing he's got to worry about. Even if they're not the ones who are responsible for it all, it's one less thing you've got to worry about. Yeah. It's four extra people. You have to kind of like monitor when your, 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 your resources are stretched in as it is. Exactly. And, and you do who you don't trust. Yeah, exactly. I don't know who they are. Yeah. Uh, but the doctor's like, I- I'm very busy right now. I'm, I'm about to make a breakthrough here. Uh, leave, leave me alone, please. Please. Yeah. <laughs> and Polly, once they leave, Polly goes, what's your breakthrough? And the doctor responds, <laughs> I-, I-, I was lying, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the second doctor to me. That's, that, yeah. is, that is not a first doctor move. I agree. Absolutely. Because even if the first doctor was lying, he wouldn't even admit it to the companion. No, he would have made up. Yeah, he would have made up some bullshit. And then Ian or somebody would have like smiled and said, "You got nothing." <laughs> you do wonder how the second doctor would have handled being like the musician in uh, Nero's court. I think, yo, yeah, he. That's a good. I, I, I can't imagine the second doctor in that story. No, that 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 whole thing depends on the first doctor going like, "Oh yeah, no, I'm a musician. Yeah, I'll play for you." And someone going yeah. like, "How are you gonna? You can play music?" And like, no, it's not really. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I mean, I think the second doctor would have tried to like, if he had decided to pretend to be that musician in the first place, which he doesn't feel like he would have. Like that doesn't feel no. like a second doctor choice. I guess he could have pulled out like his penny whistle and just started playing That's on true. that. I he guess. wasn't. Yeah. Um, but I, I felt like he would have like caused some some chaos to where he would have gotten out of actually performing. That's exactly what he would have done. He would have stalled. He would have stalled. He would have stalled. He would have like caused a distraction. And but at the same time, I can't imagine himself pretending to be that musician in the first place. Yeah, no way. I, I totally agree. Uh, I should back up a little bit. This is a Polly gets sent off to make coffee. So there's that, there's that moment. Yeah. Um, one of the antennae uh, is busted. So they send out a couple of uh, crew members to put on like a space suit and like go out and like go fix it. I mentioned that because we cut back to them and they get kind of, this, this is, this felt very 10th planet to me. Yeah. Uh, they get attacked outside by the Cybermen and they get their suits taken away. So now they're, they're naked on the moon, I guess. <laughs> really um, bleak for them, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a bad fate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, I just wanted to uh, put a pin in that. Mm-hmm. And this is where everyone getting like everyone has like their coffee. The doctor's about to admit defeat here a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> which is unusual for him. Um, when someone collapses. And this well, is where so the doctor while they're drinking the coffee. Yeah, yeah. this is where he. Um, yeah, I, lo- walk, I love it. Walk us through the uh, explanation here a little bit, actually. Well, well, so like Hobson's about to drink his coffee, and the doctor literally like knocks it out of his hand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love shit like that. No. Um, uh, and uh, he realized it's the sugar, right? Because Ben had found holes in the food. People were getting sick, and he realized. The reason there's no, like one of the puzzles to, to it was, was that there's no pattern to people getting sick that he could tell. Like it's, it's, there are in different locations, different places, but, but different people getting sick. Why were some people getting sick and not others? Uh, and, he, and he made the connection, oh, it's, it's the sugar. Like people take their coffee differently. Mm-hmm. 
and that and that gets substantiated because I think they they analyze the sugar and they find like some nerve agent in there, right? Yeah. So mystery solved. Yeah, no, I think it's a it's it's a good solve, and it doesn't feel like I wouldn't have put it together, but it doesn't feel like something that no one would have put together. Right. Um, and I actually really like this cliffhanger that this episode has. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> do, do you want to do the honors on it? Sure. Um, so yeah, I think they they go in and immediately check the sugar and find they're in the lab with the the, the medical bay with all the bodies in there, and they they see it, and the doctor says there must be a cyberman, and Hobson's like, okay, we looked everywhere, but there's no no one to be found. Like right. we looked everywhere on the base, so the doctor is like. Have you checked where we are right now in the med bay? <laughs> and then, yeah, and then, then everyone kind of like, uh, they're like, no, someone's always always here. But there's kind of a doubt, right? They're looking around. And then someone, one of the dead bodies, or what someone thought was a dead body, like sits up and takes the sheet off. <laughs> and it's a Cyberman. Which I thought was cool. Like he was actually there all along and hiding in plain sight. But even as an audience member, you... I mean, maybe some people would have, but I, I would not have like thought that was the Cyberman right there. It shows a level of cleverness within the Cybermen. That I don't think we've gotten to see up to this point, uh, which is kind of an exciting little development. It, doesn't, it feels like a move that a Dalek wouldn't have made. Well, I don't I think, think it's a move a Dalek could have made. No. So I think it shows like this kind of like different thought process. The, the presence of a thought process really in um, the Cybermen, I think sets them apart from the Daleks and make them scarier, uh, not, not, scary in a different way. I won't say scarier than the Daleks, but um, imagine the Daleks had like abstract thought. That's kind of what we're dealing with here a little bit. <laughs> right. Episode three. It's them, they're coming. Everybody inside, quick. Um, let's see. Yeah, this is where they put together. Okay, um, the, the, the Cybermen kind of lay it all out a little bit. Like they explain why they, this is alluded to what you were saying. Um, Jamie wasn't chosen because he wasn't one of the ones that hit got hit with the mind control virus. Uh, oh, and also like his head, he kind of hurt his head in the fall, so like he couldn't have he wouldn't have been able to like be mind controlled properly anyway. So he really had no value. Right, I think it was part of it too. Mm-hmm. Is it here that they explained why they want the uh, gravitron, or is that? I don't think later. so. Okay, that was later. Yeah, um, that was later. But it seems like the Cybermen are calling the audible here. Yeah, it kind of feels like this is not part of the plan, but they have they have they have intruders to deal with here. Um, yeah, so they make. Basically, they have Hobson take them out of the control room and they order Ben and Polly to stay in the sick bay. So that's kind of where they all are now. Uh, and this is, it's funny. The, the ship they come from is called the Cyber Ship, which I think is just like, it's a nice, nice little um, vertical, vertical branding. I think that's good. Everything yeah. has consistency. <laughs> but they're converting. It's kind of similar to the fish surgery of the uh, underwater menace, I'd argue. Um, <laughs> uh, these affected crew members that they've taken back to the cyber ship are now being converted into like pawns for like soldiers for the Cybermen. Is that 
So, yeah, they're they're being mind controlled. Yes. Yeah. That was part of the the virus, right? Mm-hmm. Here it is. This is where they explain. Uh, it's actually a pretty simple one-to-one explanation, uh, mm-hmm. as I recall. It's like they want to take over the Gravitron and use it to destroy the Earth. <laughs> so, right. Earth. And Look, I no arguments here. I yeah, <laughs> and and I also think, even though they don't explicitly state it, I also think there is a good like explanation for like, well, why didn't the Cybermen just like attack the base and take it over by force? And the answer is because the Gravitron, as we see in the next episode, the Gravitron can wipe them out. Like mm-hmm. if they had just attacked, I do think it wouldn't have succeeded. Like like trying to take over the base to, you know, sneaky means, I think makes sense. Well, it allows them to kind of lay roots too, a little bit. Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. but again, I, I think the Daleks would have just like barreled forward and possibly <laughs> lost. Uh, yeah, just, I just, I think the connections for like the differences between the Cybermen and the Daleks are interesting. Yeah. I so agree. This is where, this is where Polly kind of comes up with her big idea on how to stop the Cybermen because we have basically all of our characters in the sick bay. Jamie's awake. They're trying to figure out what to do, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny because Jamie's like, we should use holy water on them. Well, I love it. it yeah. This is, this is never made sense to me about Katarina. Right? Like their explanation like, oh, we can't have a stone from the past because there'd be too much to explain. Like, no, just let her have her like weird thoughts like it makes sense that jamie even with like all the ridiculous stuff he's seen in the past couple episodes still might think holly wa- holy water would work yeah right? and, it's and then like in a condescending way it's just like yeah. it, he's from the 1700s or whatever right yeah cut the guy a break um, um and so yeah that leads the the poly thinking well okay acid water Mm-hmm. Right, like, yeah, uh, you know, find some compound that that would work on their, on their, uh, um, on like their you know, little. They have like control panels and stuff on right. them, right? Yes, <laughs> kind of Darth um, Vader esque, like all these buttons and shit in the front. Um, yeah. I I think it's funny that Ben's like, well, we since we know, don't know what the plastic is, let's just do use them all. Right. <laughs> I'm not sure that would actually work. I, th- I think you would risk like making the compound inert, but I'm not certain. I'm not a chemist. Yeah, me neither. Or, you know, I guess there's always the danger of like hurting yourself. I mean, if you mix like two things that like, don't go together, I guess. Um, uh, specifically, they use nail var- varnish, right? That's, that's what her thought was, but they use a bunch of things. Okay. They make this huge cocktail full of a whole bunch of stuff. Um, That's right. And they put it in like a spray bottle, right? Kind of. Sort they of. They kind of use it more like a grenade almost. Like <laughs> It's true. Like a Molotov cocktail or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't really make the connection until you mentioned it. But I, Jamie's holy water thing obviously is silly, but it does lead to the next thought. So in a way, he's... His suggestion kind of helps well, participate in the uh, the brainstorming like, session. Yeah, well, like I said, it's why like I always thought like the explanation, like, oh, we had to kill Katarina because like riding for uh, ancient Trojan companion was too cumbersome or something. I always thought that was bullshit. It felt like a lazy explanation to me. It was a very lazy explanation, especially <laughs> they when just, you have they like, didn't want to. 
here's Jamie's in a in a serial where he's not even like supposed to be in it, and like they're having trouble even fitting him in it because because they weren't prepared for him to be in the episode, and him being from the past still making a major contribution to the script. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I, it's why it's, it's kind of like Katarina's always gonna be kind of like a frustrating companion for me because like it would have been so this so interesting to me to have like her traveling around with the doctor thinking she's dead in, a, in the underworld and that he's a god and like letting that evolve and then so they just kill her but they just didn't do it yeah yeah it was a, a real low point in the in the show to me which is funny because her, her she participated in probably like the best serial thus far but that's how it goes yep Okay, so we're back in the control room. Uh, the Cybermen have like all of their like mind-controlled crew members out and about, like working for them now to like take over the Gravitron. Uh, the Doctor kind of figures out, kind of to trial and error. Um, there's like a sonic control aspect to like how their minds are being wiped because he does something to interrupt like the sonic flow a little temporarily, and like the crew kind of snaps back not not snaps back to life necessarily, but they're not doing what. <laughs> They don't respond to the Cybermen for a little bit. So that's how he right. puts that together, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this is where like the Earth starts trying to contact them. Which makes sense. Oh, right. And they're like, like a hurricane going to, to America. Like they're like, what's going on here, man? Like you got you guys are totally failing. And the Cybermen yeah. are like, don't respond. And Earth kind of says, like, send a flare if like you guys are like in trouble and can't respond for some reason. And it's here, I think this is important, because one, one of the crew members kind of collapses mm-hmm. and like seemingly dies. And the seven men bring him back to life. Which I think is important later on, because they, they do the same to Dr. Evans in the next episode, as I recall. Right. I believe you're right. Um, it's because of, the, like, it's because of like, the, like, the, the nuclear waves, like the thermal power inside the Gravitron. This is where Ben and Polly and Jamie come busting in with like their like plastic destroying spray. Mm-hmm. That's right. And they take out the Cybermen. This is all animated, by the way. And I thought it looked pretty good. Um, I agree. I like the animation of this a lot. It's hard to say what I imagine it looks probably similar, but maybe probably more clunky in probably more, the actual thing. Probably more clunky. I do think that the animation allows for like the room to be op- like opened up a little bit further than they probably had to work with on the actual set right um but anyway they're able to kind of like save like the affected crew members and doctor has them sent down to the sick bay it's like that's taken care of Mm -hmm. uh the cybermen on the cyber ship kind of in parallel with the space command start realizing like we haven't heard from like the cybermen on the on the moon base in a while something something's going on (laughs) something's going on and this is all kind of leading to, we're not quite there yet, but um, a cliffhanger that I think a lot of people cite is one of their favorites. You only get it in anima- animated style here, but um, as we get closer to it, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on it. Uh, but this is where, we haven't talked much about Benoit, who's like French. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's been in a lot of these scenes. Uh, it's funny because you, you just don't get that many French people on the show, so it's <laughs> just kind of funny to hear it. Um, but this is his like big time to shine, right? Right. And so something something I do like about the serial is there's a lot of exposition, right? And the exposition is mostly between like 
just these random members of the crew of the moon base. But they do a good job, I think, of giving them different personalities. I and agree. Lenoir has their own personality. And like you said, this is his time to shine. He's a little like, as I recall, he's a little like sarcastic, a little headstrong, right? Right. That's cool. Um, Benoit. Like, he goes out to find like the he... missing. That's yeah, it. we talked about it last episode, like the, the engineers who went to fix the antenna and got killed by the Cybermen. He mm-hmm. went out to find them. Right. And, and he gets it. He gets into a he gets into like a gun battle with a Cyberman basically out there, mm-hmm. right? Like it's yeah. kind of classic, kind of classic thriller form. Like he, they try to learn him. Like there's one right behind you. <laughs> he doesn't see it, and then his gun doesn't work. Um, but most importantly, the the Cyberman gun doesn't work. Right, because they're in like a vacuum, right? Yeah, they're on the moon outside, so for a reason, the the Cyberman's gun won't work in a vacuum. So and, they, yeah. they, they chase after Benoit. He's starting to like lose his breath and like, oh no, it looks like he's going to get caught. And who steps in to save the day? Ben gets a moment to shine in the serial where Ben hasn't had much to do thus far, but he does get this moment. And he, he comes out and uh, he throws the liquid at the Cyberman, which I guess is not affected by the vacuum of space. Yeah, I was just wondering. I honestly don't know. I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> Science is weird. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I I know things work differently in in the vacuum, but I don't know how and what. So uh, I I couldn't say. I suspect as they were putting this together, they didn't have like a science co- like consultant to like run this by. I think they're just like ah screw it. <laughs> well, remember, Kit Pedler was a science consultant. If you were oh that's right yeah mm-hmm. you mentioned that well yeah and so so maybe yeah maybe. Um, yeah, but this is like that Molotov cocktail um, kind of aspect you're talking about. They use it as a grenade here. Um, yeah. So yeah, as we wind down, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. Um, obviously, it's like we, we should prepare for further invasion, and they look out at the telescope, and they see like this row of Cybermen bots um, on the surface of the moon heading straight towards them. And, which I liked. I do wish... We had the actual episode for this because the animation's pretty good, but I have to wonder if like the lower rent quality of the actual show might have rendered it even creepier. Maybe, and I do think we get similar shots in episode four. Maybe, maybe not the exact same, uh, but we do see the Cybermen walking on the moon base. So I think you can kind of piece together what it might have looked like from those. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great. I don't know. It's it is again that kind of it's campy, but creepy and i think that's a good mix for doctor who yeah i agree i think i think it's great um yeah i think i think it's why I, things like that i just i just really enjoy and i think it's probably the reason i maybe i even like to see her better, better than you i just think it's really well done and put together um i'm definitely excited to see more of the cybermen yeah like uh, i i think they have something that really works here for sure Episode four, we're at the end here. Um, and episode four is pretty, it's pretty straightforward. Um, you know, Hobson and crew and like our, our, our doctor and his gang of companions kind of suss together. Like they try to reach out to Earth and like their, their communications are jammed. But Hobson kind of figures our best course of action is probably the wait, 
they can't contact us. Something really serious is going on. They're probably going to send out like a relief vessel to like figure out what's happening. So we just have to like stay alive until then. And kind of classic base under siege style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just got to wait for the rescue ship to come in. Wait for backup. But the Cybermen are also aware like, okay, there's not a relief ship. So we have to... <laughs> what's their plan here? They have, they have to like... They're going to like take out that first and then deal with the yeah. main base. Yes, which makes sense. Yeah, um, it makes perfect sense. And that this is where Evans, this is where Evans well, comes in, right? Right. Yes, exactly. Because uh, suddenly the the relief ship is going on a different course. Right. And they're like, "How did that, how did that happen?" The doctor's like, "Well, it kind of looked like it was pulled by gravity in a different direction, like Gravitron might have done." Mm-hmm. Uh, and they look and, in. Yeah, what do they do, right? Well, I think they look into it. I, they they search. Don't they go over to the gravitron and they see Doctor Evans, who they thought was who was supposed to be dead, right? Uh, but the Cybermen kind of alert him, kind of bring him back to life, which is, I think, is as I've talked about, I think is a really creepy power for them to have. I don't like that at all. Um, I think it was only because of the the virus they put in them, though. Oh yeah. Oh, I know. But even in that okay, context, okay. even in that context, it's um pretty unsettling. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. We can just like bring you back to life and put you back to work. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so it's he's the reason that they're uh, the the ship isn't coming. Like he sets it off course. Yeah, and he's in, he's he's got full control of the gravitron now. Like he's barricaded the door. Yeah, this is not good. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's kind of bleak. What happens to the ship? They're on a truth month trip to the sun <laughs> with no way of fixing it. Yeah, Which, they're like uh, condemned to like this awful death. <laughs> it's not funny. Which I feel like but... I feel like I don't know. I I I feel like there are things that could have been done to save them, at least on Earth. Like whatever. Yeah, it feels like one of those things that um in the course of putting together the four part story, they're like, oh, we never really resolved that. Uh, I guess they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're trying to. I, what I do like about this is that this could have been a, and then the Cybermen and these humans get into a gunfight to the death, but they kind of put it back on this cast of guest characters. Um, the finale is, I mean, obviously like Cybermen are like a big part of like the siege and stuff, but I think that this was a nice little move that probably helped cut costs, made the story more interesting and kind of kept everything in like this one little space. I thought it was a clever little move. I agree. Uh, Hobbs is trying to reason with Evans. Um, it's not working. <laughs> and this right. is where the Cybermen kind of um, cuts off their line of communication, right? So, uh, Evans, is, Evans is in our control. Yeah. And, and they fire. Yeah. And they fire a hole in the heat. <laughs> right. But uh, they cover it up. They use like a little coffee tray uh, yep. to kind of cover up the hole in the laser, which I thought was. Again, kind of clever. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is kind of where... Yeah, maybe you can walk us through this. This is where they kind of figure out through... Kind of almost by accident, like, hey, wait a minute. We can use the Gravitron to kind of get the Cybership out of here, right? Right, exactly. Um, and like, there's uh, this, this thing yeah. that the Cybermen were, like, afraid of the whole time, seemingly. Uh, they accidentally, inadvertently give the idea for. Right, because they shoot off a laser, and the Gravitron kind of deflects it. 
And the doctor mm-hmm. goes, hold on. <laughs> Can we aim the grab? Uh, make sure I get this right. Can we aim the Gravitron kind of towards the surface of the moon? Right. And, and the answer is no, initially. Yeah. Well, it's like, we've never tried it. Like, we, Yeah. What purpose? Right. They would have, they would, it would have been funny. Just, just to screw around, just to see if, just to see if it can be done. <laughs> but to the doctor's credit and Hobson's credit, they give it a shot and it basically, it essentially saves the day. Yes, it does. I mean, yeah, this is, this is how they, they get out of this, this fix. How do they get Evans though? Do you remember? Uh, they they have to stop Evans first. I I'm looking. Does he? He doesn't suffocate with the when the oxygen yeah. kind of sucks out, does it? That basically he passes yeah. out. The 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 Sirenman is their own undoing here, which I also like. When yeah, all the it's a nice little bit of dramatic left, irony. Um, he passes out due to low oxygen. Yeah, I probably should have mentioned that uh, uh, earlier when the uh, laser attack was happening. But yeah, that's exactly yeah. what happens. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the doctor and Hobson manually lower the Gravitron. And, and it's kind of funky, like, watching it happen, like, they just point and shoot, and it's like, whoop! Yes! They kind of, like, bounce the, uh, the Cybermen off the planet. Yeah. The planet, the moon. The moon. The moons are not planets. Um, Technically, that's true. Yeah. And that's that's more or less... That's more or less it. Um, the, the doctor and his companions basically take off before they even get a chance to like be thanked. Right, they just sneak off, which I, I yeah. like. I like. Yeah, the business here is done. Yeah, and a nice little bit of like this felt like a little bit of sequel bait to me, even though this is technically a sequel. Um, but they're in their spacesuits, heading over to the TARDIS, and um, <laughs> I get this right. They see a they see a little ship fly above them. And the doctor's like, I sort of feel like this maybe not, maybe won't be the last time we see the Cybermen. Yeah, which of course it's not. Yeah, I, I had a, I had a, I had a, <laughs> I had a feeling. Um, and we get a little tease into uh, the next story, uh, the Macra Terror here, right? Yeah. So I don't know if you want to walk us through that a little bit. Well, um, <laughs> the doctor takes off. And he decides to try to take a glimpse at the future, you know, to see what happened, which I love. Again, Jamie's like, ah, the second sight, always dangerous, doctor, <laughs> or something like that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's like, <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll... and then, <laughs> um, and then they look and they see a, a huge picture of a giant claw. I, I don't want to give anything away about how I feel about the Macro Terror at this point. I haven't finished it. But um, I feel like this little tease promises a much different and maybe much worse story than what we get. Because <laughs> when I saw this, I was like, here we go again. This reminds me of like the Sensorites um, with like the little is it the Sensorites were like <laughs> outside the window of like the ship that they're on they see like this little like <laughs> Yeah, the little guy back- like floats up. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh boy, here we go. Um, whether or not the Macro Terror is good, I do think it um, is a different story than what we get set up here. So uh, thank goodness for that. Because I was expecting it to be a crab people kind of story. So maybe we can tease the Macro Terror a little bit. It's not quite that, is it? Uh, well, no, of course. Um, 
yeah, I guess the main the main thing is that there is no Makra and we don't talk about such things. Right. Um, no, I don't even know what right. I don't even get what the title means. You know? <laughs> it is it is odd that like you've already started it. Um I guess that's that, uh, that is that is that is new for us. So I guess yeah. uh, it won't well, I guess happen again, I promise. No, well, I, I guess it's <laughs> a, a, a peek behind the curtain was um, we were going to record this episode a, uh, a while ago, but then me and my family got sick, and so we got delayed. But I'd already given Ryan all the Mokratera stuff, right? And I think he had kind of started in anticipation of being able to record that in short order after this, and then of course the uh, uh, you know me getting me getting sick um, kind of delayed that whole thing, and so that's yeah. why Ryan has uncharacteristically seen <laughs> seen more than uh you're supposed to have here which yeah is, i mean this is why we we don't do that because normally you wouldn't really have any talking point i do feel like having watched the mocker terror did kind of color how you commentated on the serial i definitely agree and it's kind of like to some degree it's nice to be working ahead a little bit but it does dark consequences i guess i can't think of a better term that feels really serious <laughs> it but feels like, really dramatic yeah, yeah but um yeah, because I do think compared to Macro Terror, I do think the moon base is it's a solid story, but there are kind of thematic elements of the Macro Terror that made me I feel like I have more to talk about with that one already and I haven't even finished it yet. Um I do think That's they fair. kinda I do think they solve like they cleverly get around Ben and Jamie kind of serve the same same purposes. How can we give them distinctive things to do? I think they find a really nice a story reason to separate and, them. I think it was and cool. It's not a, and I don't think it's a coincidence that's also the first story that where they wrote from the beginning knowing they've had that full tardis theme of Ben, Polly, and Jamie. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's, the, even with this one, like, the, you know, Kip Peller didn't know Jamie was going to be in it until later. Mockertair is the first one where they knew Jamie was going to be in it from the beginning. And what do you know? Both Ben and Jamie have interesting things to do in it. But that is a topic for next week. Absolutely. Now, that wraps up our coverage of the moon base. Ladies and gentlemen, if you liked how we covered the moon base, I have very good news for you. We have back archives of not only the other stories of Cloud Classic Doctor Who Season 4 that came before the moon base, but we also have an episode on every story from Classic Doctor Who Season 1, 2, and 3, as well as a little bonus episode uh, all about William Hartnell's tenure on the show. If Doctor Who isn't your thing, I'm not sure why you listen to all two hours of this, but it's your time to spend how you want. We do talk about the superhero genre, superhero film genre, to be more specific, on this little show here. We recently wrapped up our coverage of the first half of the 90s. We've also done 70s, 80s. We've gone all the way back to uh, the serials of the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Superman, Batman, uh, <laughs> Captain America. Not Steve Rogers, but it is Captain America. <laughs> Uh, and we are going in, not, yeah. Yeah. and we are going to a chronological order, I should mention. So we did do all those first, and we moved into the 70s with Superman and the 80s with uh, Superman's 2, 3, and 4, and uh, all yeah. other kind of like little, little um, genre ones that you may not have uh, heard of or uh, ever seen. But we are, we are limiting ourselves to major releases. Major yeah, no, releases. yeah, no unreleased Fantastic Four movie for us. No uh, TV movies of uh, the Hulk and Daredevil or whatever. Major releases only. Uh, and we'll be picking that up again in a couple weeks here as we wind down Classic Doctor Who Season 4. So 
be on the lookout for that. The Steel episode starring Shaq. Uh, News <laughs> nine, Jimmy. <laughs> I look forward to it. I look forward to it. Yeah, you can find those episodes uh, uh, on Apple Podcasts. You can find them on uh, Spotify. Uh, check out check out our Spotify feed uh, if you're so inclined. You can find us on Instagram at Pop Culture Historians Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at PC Historians, and you can find us on our website, Pop Culture Historians Podcast.wordpress.com. Life lesson is the only thing we have left to do here. And in characteristic fashion, I hadn't thought about it just now. Uh, <laughs> I would say, though, this is hard because no one really did anything wrong here. Um, I think Hobson kind of acted within his means. I think he was uh, really rational. Uh, I think he listened to reason. Uh, oh, uh, don't, don't put sugar in your coffee. <laughs> <laughs> just don't do that. <laughs> and you won't get sick. <laughs> <laughs> or do i don't know <laughs> yeah I, I i guess so yeah uh don't over don't overstretch yourself when you're on the moon i guess would be my second life lesson I, I w- uh, here's what i'll say um if you're finding a bunch of holes in your food <laughs> don't just ignore that I, I, I think that's the the life lesson i'm not, not just like putting sugar in your coffee but like if like your your bags of sugar have like holes in them don't just be like oh that's weird whatever that's like, odd oh well <laughs> Maybe don't drink that sugar or eat that sugar. Well, to me, I think some of the best art gives gives its viewer multiple life lessons to take away. So I think that's the power <laughs> of the moon base. It gives you several things to uh, take into your everyday <laughs> lives. So pick your favorite. Uh, all right. That does it for the Pop Culture Historians for this week. Next week, Mocker Terror. That was Jimmy. I'm Ryan. We'll see you in the TARDIS next week. Uh,